No, they know you never talk about your money. Right, so at Liverpool in the 80s, you would no idea. No, no. Well, we, the only idea was that Kenny was on far more than he was. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Friday Night Racing on Off The Ball. Brought to you by Horse Racing Ireland. Love every racing moment. Visit hri.ie. You are welcome along to Friday Night Racing on Off The Ball. Brought to you by Horse Racing Ireland. Love every racing moment. Visit hri.ie or follow the Twitter account at hri racing. uh, Hashtag every racing moment. Now, later on, we'll have uh, the Racing Post's uh, Richie Forsell on to discuss a very, very controversial Shores inquiry and outcome uh, at Royal Ascot. But if it, you were at Royal Ascot, uh, there was no happier man uh, than the man who we're going to talk to now. And uh, to borrow a Simpsons uh, quote, who likes the Cross Brothers? Because we've got one of them. Uh, not Nathan, who the winner last night at Leopardstown before the Lightning Seeds were on, but Shane, who rode an unbelievably good race on State of Rest, winning at Royal Ascot during the week in an epic Prince of Wales stakes. Shane, it's a pleasure to have you on. How are you? Very good, Johnny. Thanks very much for having me. I was talking to... Well, it's no thanks at all. I mean, you must be riding the crest for a wave. Like, will you ever ride a nicer race than that in a, in a Group 1? Yeah, no, uh, unbelievable. Um, and the answer was probably not. You know, it was, uh, it was a great, great day and probably still dreaming, yeah. So I was talking to a lot of sort of good judges ahead of uh, Royal Ascot. What do you do uh, if you're riding a Royal Ascot? What sort of horses do you want to ride? And the consensus was you don't want to make the run. And it's very, very hard to make the run in a Royal Ascot. But in State of Rest, you had a horse who was genuine, who had lots of solid form, and you wanted to make the run. And can you explain what happened and why? Yeah, look, um, he probably, he's never made the running before, but uh, obviously it was a very small field. And... Uh, Myself and Joseph were obviously speaking Tuesday and, and we walked the track Wednesday and we decided to, you know, if we were to able to get to the front that uh, we'd be happy to do it. And, and you know, we were drawn one. So probably the, the easiest and most straightforwardest way to win was, was probably to go from, from stall one. And look, it couldn't have worked out any smoother. I don't think um, it worked out exactly how, how you know, Plan A would, and uh, no, it was amazing. Brilliant. Okay, so before we get to the race, I'm just looking at State of Rest form here, and um, he's a real, real anomaly of a horse in the sense of what he's achieved. He won his maiden uh, at Fairy House uh, in June of 2020. He then went one, two, three, four, five, six races without winning. He then won at Saratoga under John Velasquez, uh, my cousin's favourite jockey over in the States. He then won in Mooney Valley in the, in Australia. He then won in Longchamp in France. And under Shane Cross, he was a somewhat unlucky third, I think, in the Tattersall's uh, Gold Cup, a race that's worked out very well form-wise. And then he went into Ascot, bidding, nearly bidding to win five Group 1s in five different countries. And if we can go back to the Curry, you probably... Is that a race you wish you got back? Yeah, look, um, probably, um, you know, probably every race doesn't go your way, but I would have, I would have had like to have been probably a position closer and, uh, you know, we're just caught flat footed as we swung into the straight and, you know, he, he was the closest at the line. So yeah, we were scratching our heads a little bit walking out of the corner that day, but obviously it was a huge run behind two very good horses again, but, uh, I thought the horse that you saw, on Wednesday at Ascot was was the proper state of rest and uh, yeah you know what a superstar he is 
so unbeknown to yourself uh, Kevin Blake is on uh, Sky Sports Racing before the race and they're saying to him geez Kevin there's a big gamble on this day to rest 9-1 to and 6-1 to and he said well th- there's no reason for it except for the fact that he's overpriced I think 6-1 to is too big were you getting the nerves were you getting the butterflies as you know the race approach 5 runner race not in the stalls very long and you're taking on a hot favourite in Baybridge suppose but leading up to the race uh you know not knowing what price he was um you know i would never have thought that him being a nine to one shot was, was what his actual price was but um you know he I, he definitely didn't feel that way leading into the race and i thought that um, you know we had a huge chance and lucky julia blige what did joseph say to you beforehand in the parade ring I look, we had our kind of tactics worked out um long time beforehand, so it was just running through the last few things. Um, he left me with, you know, no question marks. We knew what we were doing and uh, he just left it all up to me. You know, he's brilliant in that way. He puts no pressure on you. Um, we just try to keep things as straightforward as possible and, uh, you know, just hope nothing goes wrong. Talk to me, so from uh, the first furlong to the wire, how the race went for you? Yeah, so I was keen to get a good break and he jumped very good. Um, he's usually a good breaker, but he was electric on Wednesday and I was able to let him roll down along the back straight into the bend and, uh, you know, I was able to string out the four horses behind me, uh, obviously not knowing what had happened to Lord North and Frankie or whatsoever, but um, I was able to get a breeder into him and I got it pretty handy for the guts of the next three furlongs and... You know, it's it's probably never likely that you're able to do that in, in such a big race like it was. And I was able to gradually come forward. Then when we turned into the straight and, uh, you know, he was the one that everyone had to catch and they probably would have had to have taken a very good horse to try and, you know, to outrun him at that stage of a race. But, uh, yeah, no, it was brilliant. What's, how important is an uncontested lead? Huge. I think it's, it's probably every jockey's dream. If you can get in front... And it goes your own way, you know, nine times out of ten. If your horse is good enough, it'll win. Yeah, and like so, you, you don't have you don't have a clock or you don't have like a speedometer in front of you. How how do you dictate fractions, knowing that like it's so important not to go too fast on a horse, even with a soft lead who stays well. Like, is that something that's kind of innate in somebody or is it something that you take time to learn from your experience? And I know you're only twenty, so it's not like you're at this game long. But is that something that you get better at, or do you have it? Yeah, look, um, by God means I'm no professional at, at it, but, um, you know, you do get used to it. You get used to your speeds and, you know, from from riding in a lot of races throughout the year and stuff, you know, when you're going too fast and, you know, when you're going too slow and uh, often than not, you know, when your horse is comfortable and when they're not. And I always had state of rest comfortable underneath me and I was I was happy everywhere. Um, I was delighted with what he was doing underneath me. And when I asked him to stretch up the straight, you know, I knew even going down to the furlong pole that I, I still had another gear to go to uh, to finish them off, you know. Um, so when everything is going to plan like that and you have the horse relaxed underneath you and doing everything to 100%, it's, uh, it's huge. Yeah, the comments in running in the racing post made all set steady pace, shaken up and increased tempo over two furlong out, ridden one furlong out, keep on kept on well always doing enough, nine to one into five to one. Just in relation to those comments like shaken up and increased tempo over two furlongs out, when do you know like this is the time now that I have to ask? I can't I can't hold on much longer and I think I've enough in reserve here to win by length from Baybridge. Yeah, 
probably probably I was expecting the Japanese horse to be nearly beside me turning. I didn't want him to be obviously, but I was pre- presuming that the Japanese horse would be putting pressure on me from over three furlongs out because he gets a mile and a half very well. And I was surprised to see no one challenging me as we swung into the straight. Um, so I was able to sit for maybe half a furlong longer than I would have done. Um, so that was a big surprise. And and I was able to use his turn of foot then uh, to go about and winning. But, you know, it'll probably never happen to him again where, where you will get a, a race to go so straight forward. But that takes nothing away from the hearts. I think the best hearts won the day by, by a long way. And uh, yeah, no, he was just brilliant. What does it say about him then? You know, as I said, he nearly won five group or grade ones in different countries, which in in succession, which I mean, I'm not sure if any horse has ever done that. Maybe they have, but like he was close to doing it. Yeah, no, it's crazy. You know, I I couldn't think off the top of my head of a horse that has done it. Um, you know, but I'm sure if any horse has done, they've been, you know, they've been well known and they're probably superstars, obviously. But for any horse to win four group ones, you know, to win one is huge, to win four in four different countries, it takes it takes a lot of, uh, you know, it, it just takes a great one to do so. So, um, yeah, he's very good. It's it's hard to believe you're it's 2018. You were the champion apprentice. I'm I'm just wondering, like you've like a lot of people your age, um, you've lived some of your formative adult years during the pandemic. But there must be nothing like the roar and the celebration of a race like that. Was it incomparable to anything you've done before? No, definitely not. Definitely not. It was something that I'll do well to feel again. I'd say, um, no, what a huge day. You know, there's probably. There's probably every jockey in the waiting room, and a lot of them have been have been waiting a lot longer than I have to to experience what I've done in so in in a few years. But it all goes down to, you know, uh, to obviously Joseph and the whole team down here knowing it's it's been a dream since day one. And um, yeah, I'll do I'll do very well to top it off. I think. Obviously, a lot of people had back to him on course or whatever. It's five horse race. He was a nice price, but uh, I mean that must be some buzz that roar as you cross the line. Yeah, uh, it's, I won't be forgetting it for a while. It was it was great, brilliant. What was the reaction from the other jockeys? Because Ryan Moore is obviously riding a hot favourite. He's part of Aidan's team, um, Joseph's dad, obviously. Did he kind of congratulate you or was he still sort of uh, thinking about his own defeat? Yeah, look, uh, no, Ryan came up to me the minute I came back into the weighing room and congratulated me. You know, he's a top man, uh, you know, a true professional. He's he, He's been there and done that, so... Uh, no, they they did in fairness to them. Um, I'm sure they were probably a bit bitter in defeat, but look, we all lose some races, but uh, thankfully we were winning. And when you came in then to the winner's enclosure, did it feel like almost your Cheltenham where, you know, there's a nice reception and the place is packed and you've ridden a winner in a to- at the top level? Of course, of course, you know, back here at home and stuff on, on the big days, yeah, we have our big crowds and, and it's great to ride them winners, but probably everybody wants to get an Ascot winner or a Cheltenham winner, you know, or any entry winner. Those are the ones with, when everyone is, is tuned into watching and everyone is there to, to celebrate. And uh, yeah, no, it was, it was it was a huge thrill to walk back into the winner's enclosure to the crowd and reception. And uh, it was just brilliant for everyone to, to you know, to, to, to look at what he, what he has done and, and such a good horse he is. 
just tell us about your background, Shane. As I mentioned at the start, uh, Nathan, your brother, um, Francis as well, rode a winner last night for Willie McCreary at Leopardstown. Um, I imagine, actually before I get to that, I imagine it was like when they asked Nathan Collins during the week, what was his phone like after he finished the game? I'm sure your phone was hopping on the night. Yeah, it was, it was, it was buzzing. I probably haven't gotten through half the messages yet. You know, uh, everyone has been huge support and thankful to everyone who sent me messages. Um, it's great to have that background behind you. And, uh, of course, Nathan as well, he's been doing great for himself. He, he had a lovely winner last night in Leopardstown and he was probably one of the first ones to be on the phone to me. And I, I was speaking to him as I was staying over the last, the last two nights and um, yeah, just talking through things. And it's great to have someone like that who's very close to you and, you know, you can talk about them things that you wouldn't talk to other people about. So yeah, he's a huge help and uh, yeah, I know it's brilliant. Uh, yeah, so there's a public apology from Shane to anyone he hasn't replied to yet, but you can imagine that he has been busy. What, what age is Nathan and what's your racing background? Um, Nathan is 21 now I'm pretty sure <laughs> and uh, racing background is just we always had horses at home uh, my dad was an ex-jockey and you know we had thoroughbreds hanging around a lot at the time and managed to get into the pony racing side of things um, through there then when we got older my dad was head lad for, for Tommy Stack at the time and we used to myself and Nathan used to go in on weekends and holidays and ride out a lot or two whether it was a lead horse or, or, or anything and um, you know just progressed and got more involved into the point racing as we got older and uh, just loved the game um, loved going racing and uh, yeah it's just it's just stepped up then my dad had, had moved jobs he got offered a job at Joseph's and I said I would come for the summer again just to change it up and haven't looked back since. So, yeah, that was the turn. How many in your family? Uh, just just myself and Nathan as well. Wow. So that, that, that must be a special upbringing in that. There's only a year between you, allegedly, anyway, if you actually know what age he is. And uh, you were you basically had, like, did you have the same interest? Were you fighting over the same girls or, like, were you, were you just uh, wanted to be, like, jockeys, both of you? I don't know. I was always winning with ladies anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't have no, the right to reply here. We'll get him on next week. But uh, yeah, so you, want, yeah. you wanted to, uh, whatever about that, you wanted to be jockeys anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, it's brilliant that we're such close of age because we were always same teams on, on the soccer matches and the GA. And, you know, we were always, we were, we were together doing everything. And uh, the same, obviously, Nathan, who's just a year and a bit older than me now, he got his license, you know, a few months before me. So we've always been kind of side by side doing the same things every year. And um, yeah, no, it's brilliant. And in terms of sport, then what part of Tip are you from and what did you, what sports were you into when you were younger? Um, so I'm I'm from a small village called Ballyluby, just outside Cairn in Tipperary. And yeah, just the, the usual, you know, I was I was huge into the soccer myself, but then the GA the whole way up along, probably to secondary school. And I, I more or less was um, playing soccer a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, that was it. And then trying to mix the the, the pony races on, on a weekend with going to matches was a bit tricky late on, but uh, we opted to go racing anyway. Um, how kind of, in, like how good was pony racing for your development? very very good um i had i had some nice contacts pony racing and my dad and mum helped us a lot with 
with it been, it being able to pick up a few ponies and horses along the way to bring racing and um we got a few nice winners and you know you get you get huge amount of experience and it's 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 terrible the way pony racing is going at the moment with may possibilities of not getting insurance for the coming year but hopefully that all gets sorted and you know without it i think there'd be very less very very less jockeys coming through well it'd be like um wouldn't it be a bit like expecting a lad to be a good senior hurler who's never played never heard before exactly 100 percent. that's it yeah um yeah and i i don't know i mean another thing about the pony racing thing which i i think really strikes true when you talk to ex-pony racing uh, jockeys is the role of parents and you know the the length and breadth of the country that they i guess had to go to collect you to watch you to stay and look after you and all that and like i guess your your parents have had a key role in that for you as well yeah huge you know between between playing j and soccer matches midweek and then probably having to drive to Kerry or or you know up the north. It doesn't matter where the pony racing was, and they were they were shipping myself and Nathan around the country. So without them, we definitely wouldn't be here. You know they've been they've been huge to our success, both of us. Um, yeah, and then probably trying to drive us out of bed for school on the Monday morning wasn't always easy either. But sure. You got through it anyways. I think you can, yeah, we can relate to that. I, I think th- there must be a documentary in you and Nathan then because, like, are you, would you describe yourselves as rivals at all or are you, like, completely, you know, brothers in arms or how does that work? Like, ha- has there been many close finishes between the two? Yeah, I remember watching earlier in the in the year um, the, the uh, Ledger winner, or sorry, the Gold Cup winner, um, Kiprios beating Search for a Song in a finish, full brother beating a full sister. So what's it like when it happens with you guys? Yeah, exactly. It gets exciting, and you know, um, as it happens, me and Nathan actually end up beside each other a lot of the time in the finish. And to be honest, eighty percent of the time, I'm usually coming out the wrong side of the photo or the wrong side of the finish. So he always has the bragging rights over me whenever we do end up beside each other. Um, but yeah, no, it's great. Look, I, it's, it's, if there was one man to beat me in a race, it would be him, and I'd be happy about it. But you're never happy losing a race, but. Um, yeah, no, look, we're competitive and we're close, you know, it's it's mixed. And uh, how important is it, how important is that move to Joseph's been for you, I suppose, and what's it like in that team? Anyone who has been to the yard can attest to the fact, like, so many people there, it's so busy, but so friendly as well. Yeah, look, it's obviously been the, the makings of, of probably what I've done today. Uh, what I, if I didn't do it, it probably, you know, none of this would, I wouldn't speak into you, I'd say. But uh, yeah, since day one, he's just been nothing but supportive and the quality of horses and the range of horses he has down there, uh, the range of jockeys is, 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 the quality is just brilliant, you know, and he's so fair to everyone. Um, he gives everyone their fair share of rides, um, you know, so, you know, it's just, it's brilliant. And who looks after State Rest? I think there's always, there's always a story about that fella or that lass who's in the yard that basically loves his horse and cares for it like it's his child yeah um, MJ Doran is his name he's a top a top lad he's uh, he's been riding riding him I don't know the last two years now and he's travelled all over the world with him he went to Australia when he went down and he went to America with him and uh, yeah you know France back over to Scott he he does everything with him so I uh, I leave it and I'm sure Joseph leaves it all up to him just so that most of the pressure is probably actually on him that's not the former jockey is it sorry that's not the former jockey MJ is it uh, MJ used to he used to ride amateur for Noah Mead um, a few years back yeah I remember yeah, him yeah 
yeah so that's probably where you're getting his name from yeah um so we're coming to the end now of our little uh, bit with shane but just before we go shane what are your aspirations for the rest of the season and your career i uh, look just to keep you know to keep keep competing in, in these top class races and you know obviously staying safe and riding winners is the main goal but uh the, the place I'm in at the moment is brilliant and uh, I wouldn't change it for the world anyways yeah just to congratulate you again unbelievable ride I'd say you'll ever, rarely ride a better uh, winner in, in any type of race not to mind group one and maybe we'll get your brother Nathan on next week to see if you were right uh, about all those comments that you made <laughs> no problem I can do it top man Shane Thanks very much, Johnny Legend. Thank you. Uh, yeah, that was Shane Cross. Um, if you haven't ha- had a chance to look back on this, um, I'm sure you'll be able to find it fairly easily. This is just, I thought it was some of the uh, some of the riding at Ascot this week is why you love the sport. Ryan Moore in the Gold Cup, for one thing, um, would vie for one of the rides of the week, although his rivals might disagree. Shame is unbelievable. An unbelievable ride. Friday Night Racing is brought to you uh, by Horse Racing Ireland. Love every racing moment. Visit hri.ie. Hashtag every racing moment. After the break, we'll talk uh, one of the more controversial incidents of the week with Richie Farsell. Friday Night Racing on Off The Ball Brought to you by Horse Racing Ireland Love every racing moment Visit hri.ie Friday Night Racing on Off The Ball Brought to you by Horse Racing Ireland Love every racing moment Visit hri.ie yeah, you are welcome back. It's uh, Friday Night Racing and Off The Ball brought to you by Horse Racing Ireland. Love every racing moment. Visit hri.e or follow the Twitter account at hri racing hashtag every racing moment. And uh, this is Johnny Ward uh, just standing in for Jerry Gilroy. We now have uh, the Irish editor of the Racing Post on, Richie Forrestal. And uh, just to explain why... Um, there was a race at Royal Ascot this week. If you have no interest in racing, I, I, I think this is quite compelling because there's no easy solution to this. And um, I don't know if there's even a correct answer, but Richie Forrest is on to talk about the Norfolk Stakes. Richie, can you describe why you're on here today and essentially um, why this race is such a hot topic in terms of what racing might do going forward? Hi, Johnny. Yeah, sure. Look, um, I suppose it's not a new thing, Johnny, as you'll be well aware. This is an ongoing discussion that racing has been um, having over the years. But in, in the Norfolk Stakes yesterday, the Riddler won the race, first past the post. Um, possibly the best horse in the race, but not necessarily definitively so. Um, Paul Hannigan, who was riding him uh, for Richard Fahey, um, came from the outside of the track and the horse drifted towards the stand side rail. He, I suppose, came from the middle of the track, I should say, and drifted towards the stand side, stand side rail. And Paul had his stick in the right hand, which, when a horse is drifting to the left, would be um, the incorrect hand, if you like, because you can't, um, you know, if, if you're smacking the horse with the right, he might possibly run, run left. As Ruby Waltz would tell you, though, you steer with the reins, and by right, what Paul should really have done is put his two hands on the reins and steered the horse straight. He didn't do that. He kept pushing, kept pushing, because ultimately um, he and everybody else who rides around this part of the world know that as long as you basically don't knock a horse over, um, if you pass the post in front, the chances are you're going to keep the race. Um, and he did interfere with and impede and intimidate two, three, maybe even four rivals along the way, including a Crispy Cat in particular of Michael O'Callaghan's and Brave Nation of Michael Bell's. They were possibly the two worst affected by his 
manoeuvre across the track. Um, so it's the kind of thing that a rider, a good rider, can do accidentally on purpose, if you like. Um, suck up a, a band. Paul got 10 days for it, knew he was going to get it, was happy to kind of take the yellow card, if you like, because, you know, he was safe in the knowledge, ultimately, that he wasn't going to get thrown out. Um this isn't exclusive to racing. Look, I know people say it's the only game where the the, the you know the the, the offended um, loses out. Um, but you know we have professional fouls in all sorts of sports. Luis Suarez um, and so and, on. Pa- yeah, exactly. Um, so, it, it, but it is when it's as blatant as this, you know, that you basically take out two or three of your main rivals at the most crucial juncture at the race of the race sorry it just looks poor and it's hard to defend well well, yeah so you're, you're making the, the comparison with sport but I'm thinking here of like say if, if you're cycling in a in a bike uh, cycling a bike at 40 yeah. kilometres an hour and someone on the bike yeah. in front of you literally veers across three of you right just veers across yeah. three of you so I think we're all in agreement here or most people are in agreement that um, the horse should have been disqualified because it was reckless dangerous riding and the horse should be disqualified full stop right are you in agreement with that yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely. But this is where it gets this is where it gets very tricky. So what happens then? Because you disqualify him, but the horse Wallbank, who finishes second past yeah. the post, is in no way, shape, or form the second best horse in the race. So the stewards on one level are trying to give the result to the best horse in the race, which I think probably was the Riddler. In fairness, but notwithstanding that, Wallbank was not the second best horse in the race. Yet he finished second past the post. So yeah. what is what is? There's no ideal outcome to this. But what would yours be? No, there isn't an ideal outcome, but if you have the rules in place that deter it in the first place, you won't have these incidents. Okay. As a matter of routine, you simply won't have them. The thing is, and the rules probably are there, and I, I commented on this today, Like the rules ultimately are there for dangerous riding, but they're not being implemented, partially because I think there is a fear that if you... Um, you know, find someone guilty of dangerous riding. I think there is a fear if something happened to someone else, you know, that was impacted by it, that it would become, a, if someone was litigiously minded, that they could use it to their, you know, in the court of law. So I think that is a fear. There hasn't been a dangerous riding finding in Britain for 13 years. I think 2009 was the last one. So in the, in, in yesterday's situation, I would say let, let Wall back. Raised. Paul Hannigan do then? He'll steer to the right, won't he? He'll straighten his horse up and he won't let it happen. So straight away you have a deterrent. At the moment, there is no deterrent. And the point we haven't really touched on, which is the point that should underpin it all, and, and you kind of you know, touched on it a little bit when you mentioned the cycling, is that this comes down to safety. Um, you know, a yellow card in, in soccer for, for a bad tackle might be deemed kind of acceptable. Whereas this is a highly dangerous sport. Um, you know, they're racing at 30 odd miles an hour, hard ground there yesterday. If one of those horses came down, you know, the jockeys could be seriously hurt or the horse could be seriously hurt. Um, and yet there is no deterrent really to prevent these guys, as I say, accidentally on purpose causing interference because they know they can get away with it. Um, and, it, you know, we have um, a precedent, if you like, recently when... Um, uh, Freddie Tillicky, sorry, got hurt badly in a fall at Wolverhampton um, and Graham Gibbons was found at fault um, in the court of law. And yeah. yet the BHA at the time, you know, didn't weren't minded to suspend him or find him guilty of any riding, any, any riding infringement. Mm. So the point here is this could end in tears before they, they kind of get, get their house in order and get to grips with what is a very dangerous situation. And there is a difference between tactical riding 
and, you know, clever race riding, shutting the door on someone when it's safe to do so and, and riding in such a way where you're endangering others, which is ultimately what happened yesterday. No horse came down, but it was a very fine line. You know, it won't take much for us to see something come down. Yeah, this month is uh, Pride Month and show uh, it supports Tote is getting behind the Racing with Pride initiative as part of this uh, Tote is sponsoring the Tote. Sporting Racing with Pride, Maiden Race at Down Royal Racecourse this evening. Uh, follow hashtag Racing with Pride online to learn more and keep up to date with this month's activities and Down Royal Race again tomorrow. Cracking card up there, they're one of their big flat meets. Um, just getting back to this point then, like Paul, Paul Hannigan, obviously there was a bit of a split with Richard Fahey. He's always come across a very likeable bloke and so on and so forth. Is this entirely because it's Royal Ascot? Like, does he does he do this? Is he lost in the moment, or does he do this in a in a maiden in Catterick? Not necessarily, no. But uh, you know, it's 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 worth it here. You you know, you're going to win the race. You know, you know, you're going to get a short holiday. Um, it's worth it. Would he would he do the same at Catterick? Quite possibly not. You know, for a five grand maiden or something, why would you? You know, you'd straighten up. You know, you might have Ascot ten days down the line. You don't want to, you don't want to miss that. So it's um it's a, a cost benefit analysis, isn't it? If if it's worth it. Um, you ride accordingly. And the point worth making here is that the best riders ride to the rules in each jurisdiction. Mm. So Ryan Moore, is there's no one better at this than Ryan Moore. Look at his Irish Champion Stakes ride on, on uh, St. Mark's Basilica last year. Um, Moore is one of the best riders we've seen in the last 30 or 40 years. Um, and he knows when he's in Ireland or Britain, he can push the boundaries a bit and he can drift across the track and hang on to the race as he did on St. Mark's Basilica last year at Leperstone when he impeded Tarnawa right across the straight, mm. beat her less than a length, but kept the race. In America, Ryan will ride straight and through because he knows if he doesn't, he'll get ch- chucked out. So the best riders ride to the, the law of the land and that's what Paul Hannigan did yesterday. Okay, so... Are you are you more inclined to think the Americans have it right, uh, even the French have it right, or in fair in fairness, in in this jurisdiction and in Britain, they've generally tried to be true to what we think was the best horse in the day. But I I don't think that has anything to yeah. do with dangerous riding. No, I mean I I tell you what, like in France now they're more they're more um, the, the rules have changed the last few years to, and they implement a similar kind of system what we do to what we do. What I've always said about this, it's it's not complicated. It's really not. Um, the Americans, you could say, maybe take it to an extreme. My point on this is, you know, if it's intentional and if there's doubt about the result, so if a jockey pulls a horse across one way or another, impedes another horse, and if there's a doubt that they were on the best horse in the race, throw them out. If, like yesterday, you accident, accidentally on purpose let it happen and you don't take corrective action and there's a doubt, throw them out, OK? If a horse veers dramatically at the last minute and there's very little you can do about it, you know, that's what I would term a racing incident. And that's and unless it, Yeah, unless it's blatant that the, the, the horse that was impeded um, would have won, then fair enough, you could let him hold the position. But there, the point about this is if it's intentional or if the jockey has a chance to correct the horse and doesn't, then you chuck them out once the you know if the margin is anyway um, short at all you've got to throw them out because you know this isn't going to get any better otherwise. Richie's also on um, because he was uh, he's is rather a former jockey so he's well versed to talk about this. Any incidences in your career in terms of like um, being involved in in or a victim of dangerous riding where you're you know I guess like um, your heart is pounding you're like this is not good. Yeah, no, look, there's nothing maybe relevant to this, shall I say, but I mean, it's 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 such a dangerous game. Um, 
and to you know for this to be happening as regularly as it is now and as you know it's become you know for every big meeting it's a talking point these days um and they're not they're you know they're not cars that you know they, they can't race in lanes they they do veer and maneuver and you have to allow for that um but they need to act stronger on it the rules are there they need to be stronger on it because you know if, I, I, I'll go back to the point I just made. If a jockey doesn't make an effort to correct a horse or if they intentionally manoeuvre in such a way as to impede another horse, there has to be action to deter riders from doing it because it's just too dangerous to carry on the way it is. Um, and, like, what, what, if Paul Hannigan comes back into the weighing room after that, like, is he treated as a prior for a while? Or, like, I mean, the other jockeys kind of live with them. I mean, there, there are at least yep. three or four jockeys, maybe three jockeys anyway, who have right to be annoyed about what happened there. But, like, wh- wh- what's what's it like in the weighing room after a race like that? Yeah, he gets some choice words thrown at him by the lads that were affected uh, and impeded by it. But, you know, that'll blow over very quick. Uh, and the consensus in there will be, well, I'd probably done the same myself. You know, because the rules are there and they allow it. They cater for it. Um, they basically encourage it because if you're not going to get thrown out, why would you straighten the horse? You know you're going to guarantee yourself victory by letting it drift. Um, if you you know what I mean? Was he the best horse in the race? This is the point we were, we were discussing at the start. He probably was. He probably was. But pa- Paul Hannigan has just made sure that he's won by stopping the runs of Crispy Cat and Brave Nation. Um, you know, there was... You have to. I, I, it's. 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 The thing is, it's very hard to be conclusive about any of this, and that's what the stewards will say. They couldn't be sure that he improved his position as a result of his actions. But you look at Brave Nation. I thought in particular, he he was staying on well, mm. and then he got intimidated, and his run stopped straight away, and he didn't. You know, he didn't get going again. It was a five furlong race. If you stop horse in their tracks, they're not going to get going again that late in the day. So you couldn't say definitively that Brave Nation would have won, or Crispy Cat. So you can't, it, it, they, they, they straight away, the stewards will take the easy option and say, look, we can't throw them out because we can't be sure. But you can't quantify the damage that's been done, you know, in terms of stopping those horses' momentum. It's impossible to quantify it. And I, and I know things happen very quickly in flat racing. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say, like, Paul Hannigan deliberately tried to endanger anyone or whatever. I, I, I'm not putting words in his mouth, but, like, it's nearly 20 years since Sean Cleary passed away. We've had Freddie Talitsky getting paralysis, obviously, in that incident. George Baker seriously injured. Uh, Fran Berry had to retire, I, like, after after a, a bad kind of incident in, on the all-weather as well. I've often made the point, Richie, rightly or wrongly, that I think flat racing is more dangerous in some respects because you don't expect to fall. And if you fall, you're going at such a speed often on rattling quick ground it's just like that and like that's what makes this incident kind of hard to watch because the, the dangers as you say are so great yeah no I'd agree with that the falls in the flat are, are invariable, invariably worse and on the all weather they're a lot worse mm. because you land on and you don't roll on the all weather you hit the ground and you jar um, and you'll flip then but it's if you if you go back even to um the champion hurdle this year, funny enough, to use a jumping example, after the champion hurdle, I should say, Rachel Blackmore got a horrible fall crossing the path. And when she hit the path, she bounced up. Normally, mm. she would roll in that situation. And it was a horrible fall. So the, the synthetic surfaces um, and just the, the plain sand surfaces, they're, they're not pleasant to fall on. And as you say, the speed they're going, they're not, you know, they're going to hit the ground with a lot more momentum uh, and velocity. And they don't, they don't, roll because they don't have the time to get their body set for it the way you do over jumps you know there are, obviously you can get an absolute perler over jumps as well but if you know you're going a lot, a lot slower 
um, and you can usually usually get your your body in such a position as to roll as you're coming down. Um, so we've seen bad falls in both disciplines, as we all know. But yeah, I mean, it's frightening to see it on the flat because they are. It's it, it happens so fast and they fall so hard. Do you think this could be the straw that broke the camel's back in terms no. of regulation? No. no, no, no. I don't because we're talking about this the whole time, and I don't know what it's going to take. Um, this has been going on for years. Um, we've been writing about it for years. Um, I don't know what it's going to take. Um, you know, it's frightening to think really what what they need to do to change it. And you know, they came out yesterday and and tried to defend what sounded like the indefensible. Um, so I don't know where they go or how they review it. Um, and, and it's not to suggest that Ireland has a moral high ground here because similar incidents happen here. What I would say is they are quicker to um, to go down the dangerous riding route. There has been a number of dangerous riding bans here. So they're, they don't have the same um, fear of using that or deploying that device uh, that they seem to do in Britain, um, which is somewhat encouraging. Um, but there just seems to be a complete aversion to, to, to using it in Britain for some reason. I, do, I don't know what it's going to take to change it at this stage because, you know, I, I've, I've been writing columns for over 10 years and I've been writing about this topic as long as I've been writing columns. Thanks for your time, Richie. Cheers, Johnny. Yeah, that was uh, Richie Farsell, uh, Irish editor of uh, the Racing Post, talking about, um, I think, a very, very serious incident at Royal Ascot. That uh, despite Richie's despondency, I think it does need to be looked at seriously right now as to what uh, the authorities can do f- for this in the future. Um, myself and John Duggan will be in the Silken Thomas Kildare town next Tuesday. That is June 21st, and there's still a few tickets left if you'd like to join us. We'll be looking ahead to the Dubai Juice Free Irish Derby Festival at the Curra Racecourse. We'll be chatting to legends of the game, Irish Derby legends, Michael Canan, John Murta, and Seamus Heffernan for an in-depth Irish Derby discussion and analysis, and what it takes from horse and jockey to win the iconic race. Uh, see otbsports.com forward slash events to register. Friday Night Racing on Off the Ball is brought to you by Horse Race in Ireland. Love every racing moment. Visit HRI and finally the tote as well um, which I mentioned earlier this month is uh, the Pride Month and show its support tote uh, racing with the Racing with Pride initiative as part of this tote is sponsoring the tote supporting racing with pride maiden race down wild race course this evening uh, follow hashtag racing with pride online to learn more and keep up to date with this month's activities Friday Night Racing on Off The Ball Brought to you by Horse Racing Ireland Love every racing moment Visit hri.ie